Let's pray together. Father God, we want to thank you for being with us, for the, your guidance and your blessing uh, through WYC already. And we pray that you'll continue to lead us as we uh, think about how to get our devotional lives back on track. Too many of us, Lord, have experienced uh, the frustration of not being able to connect, not being able to be consistent. And so, Lord, we pray that you will show us a way beyond that. Help us to get through this valley of Acord to a door of hope. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're talking about how to jumpstart your devotional life. So we're going to talk about some practical things. And these are some of the things that I've heard, even experienced. I just don't seem to get much out of my devotional time. Have there ever been periods in your life when you've said that? I certainly have. I keep promising to get up earlier, but it doesn't happen. Yeah, that's, uh, that may be more recent than some of the other ones. <laughs> and then I do well for a few days, but then I seem to slip back into a few rushed minutes before I get out the door. You know what I'm talking about? Those kinds of devotional experience that runs something like this. Oh my, is it that time already? All right, Lord, uh, we've got to figure out what do you do. Uh, dear Lord, uh, please uh, be with me. I'm sorry I can't spend much time with you today, but you know how rushed it is. And I really would love to spend a little more time. Maybe later in the day we could get back together, but you know how it is. So uh, there's a little verse I'd like to remember right now. Uh, not by my nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I believe that your spirit will do it because I don't have the might or the power. Okay, God, let's go. Woo! And you go into the day. Any of you experienced this? And then... When you get down and the day is going miserably, any of you had this and you get to the end of the day and you kept promising yourself you'll have devotional time, but it just hasn't happened. And then you do the loser's prayer at the end of the day. You know what I'm talking about? 10 o'clock at night. Dear Lord, what a miserable day. I'm so sorry, Lord. Tomorrow will be better. Amen. <laughs> so those kinds of experiences tell me that something is going wrong in our devotional life. And I want to suggest to you a number of things today that I believe will help us. We're going to deal a little more philosophically at first and then very practically right at the end. First of all, is a devotional life important? I, I had a friend who said to me, you know, in the Bible I don't see a whole lot about a devotional life. It's more corporate worship. And so I don't think a devotional life is important. What do you think about that? <laughs> Well, it obviously wasn't a good thing because he eventually left the church. So I'm not going to follow his strategy. But here's some reasons. Look at Gospel Workers, page 100. God, what? Jealously, your hours for. Notice the three things. Say them out to me. Prayer, right? Bible study, and what's self-examination? Any of you ever had something on self-examination? That means meditation, thinking about how it applies to your life. A lot of us have... Uh, we've got the prayer and Bible study down, but we don't know how to apply it to our lives. So these are the three things. God jealously, your minutes, oh wait, your hours <laughs> for prayer, Bible study, and self-examination. And set aside a portion of each week, is that what it says? No, each day for a study of the scriptures and what? Communion with God. Notice those two things. Thus you will obtain spiritual strength and will grow in favor with God. Bible study, prayer, self-examination are extremely important for having a strong relationship with God. So why is our devotional life broken? I want to suggest to you that there's two basic reasons. Number one, we have the wrong motivation. And number two, we use ineffective methods. So very simply, that's what we're going to cover. What's our motivation and what methods are we using? And how could we use more effective methods than what we've used 
in the past. So motivation. What drives you to, do a, to have a devotional life? What drives you? You, you? you can answer. I'll repeat it for the microphone. What drives you? Knowing you have to, right? You know, I read that quote. It says, God jealously you're ours, and so I have to do it. It's written somewhere in the fundamental beliefs. I can't remember where. But you have to have a devotional life. So that's one reason. What else? Yes? A desire to get to know God better. So you're like, how am I going to get to know God if I never spend time with him? Yep. All right, good. What else? Yes? I've noticed that when I skip it all entirely, my day just goes pitiful versus days where I make that time. It just smooths so much better. All right, so there's, there's the practical, pragmatic reason I don't want to have a bad day. All right. <laughs> okay. What else? Yes. You, you know it's, it's hypocritical when you got into the day, putting on the face, hi, I'm a Christian, this is wonderful, but I haven't prayed in a, in a week or weeks, you know, effectively. And so, yeah, these are, these are motivations is I want to be real, I want to be genuine. And we could list an, a number of other motivations, some of which are good and some of which are not as good. So the right reasons, I want to suggest to you that the right motivation is that the goal of a devotional life is unbroken intimacy with God. If you read Ellen White's writings, she tends to use words like Jesus had a constant communion with his Father. Continual communion, constant communion, pray without ceasing. So the goal of a devotional life is an unbroken intimacy with God. And when you get to that point, then you can walk right into heaven as Enoch did. Because you have this unbroken intimacy, you just continue the conversation in heaven. But intimacy is a result of love, not fear or guilt. Can you imagine what it would be like if I told my spouse, Nicole, the reason why I'm spending time with you is I feel it's my duty. We, we're going on a date because that's my duty. How, do you think she'd appreciate that? The reason why I'm buying you flowers is because I feel obligated to. Or because I'm, I'm afraid that if I don't, you're going to be mad at me. Or if I don't, I'm going to feel guilty. So in order for me not to feel guilty, I'm buying you flowers, okay? <laughs> that would not be a good motivation. And so often what happens in our devotional lives, because we tend to be driven by fear or guilt, I better just do it. Otherwise, what if I die today, if I get run over by a car, and I haven't done my devotions, you know, I may be going the wrong direction. So, so we're driven sometimes by fear or guilt. And these do not provide the atmosphere for a good devotional time. Intimacy must be protected from the cares of life. If you want to have unbroken intimacy with God, then you have to be careful about what I call spiritual Snickers bars. If you want to ruin your lunch, what do you do? You get a snack, right? You get a Snickers bar, you enjoy that Snickers bar, but then the food comes, and you're really not ready for that food. I remember one time going to a banquet. Have you ever gone to a banquet where they take forever to bring out the food? And, but they had rolls there, these cheap white rolls but we were so hungry we began to eat those rolls and they kept bringing the rolls out well it took like an hour and a half for the food to come and then it was this incredible food i mean they brought out it was lavish it was this impressive vegetarian food that just made your mouth water but i had had eight rolls by this time and i looked at that food and i nibbled at it i wasn't even hungry 
Now think about your devotional life. If your devotional life is a quick little devotional thought here, a little, uh, I feel good when I sing this piece of music over here. I listen to, I listen to Michael Card's song, and that's really neat. And I, I do these little, little sections of brief intimacy with God, but I never go deep. Then when it comes to really getting down and studying my Bible, I'm not ready for it because I've just been feeding on this, these little bits and pieces throughout the day. I'll listen to a sermon or I'll, I'll watch something, but I'm not really willing to go deep for myself. You understand what I'm talking about here? These will rob a deep communion with God. Intimacy grows best when the best time, energy, and gifts are invested. So when, when intimacy flourishes is if I spend time and energy and, and gifts on it. Isn't that what happens? So if you're not spending time and energy, if you're not sacrificing for God, it's unlikely that your intimacy will grow. Everyone follow that point? So you want a deeper walk with God? You've got to test your motivation. Am I willing to invest what it will take to grow my intimacy with God? So many of us see devotions as a duty rather than what it should be devotion. What does the word devotion mean? Dedication, commitment, yes. What if I went to my wife and I said, Honey, I am totally devoted to you. Oh, yeah, that's the appropriate response. So because it, it shows I'm pouring my life out to you. So because our devotions are more of a duty instead of pouring my life out, they tend to be dead because they don't have that motivation behind that should make them powerful. You can't force yourself to do devotions. Uh, whatever it is, it's not devotions anymore when you're forcing yourself. Devotion should spring from an attitude of love and a desire for worship. Everyone follow the idea of motivation here? You examine your motivations. Why am I doing this? It is because I want an unbroken intimacy with God because I love Him. And that drives your devotions. So I'm going to suggest how do you start right? How do you change from the negative to the positive? Begin with a prayer. Ellen White says, consecrate yourself to God in the morning. Make this your very first business. So when I begin, I don't rush into Bible study, particularly not on my computer, and I'll get to that in a moment. I begin with prayer because prayer centers me. Prayer enables me to connect with God. Prayer clears my mind, and I, I, I deliberately do that. I try and cast out all of that thinking that's been dominating my mind, and I go to God, and I open myself up to Him. And I, what's that key word at the beginning? Consecrate. What does consecrate mean? To set apart for a holy purpose. And so, oh, there we are. Wrote it in there. Anyway, set apart for a sacred purpose. It means to, to say, I am going to put myself aside for you today for whatever you want to do, Lord. When you begin with that motivation, your devotional life will change. Just that simple prayer, when you pray it meaningfully, not just as a rote prayer, changes you. I've also found that music can be an important transition for me. Now, I have to be careful of spiritual Snickers bars, <laughs> but music helps me to transition from the rush of my life. And you can use whatever it is, if you can get out in nature and listen to the birds. But you need to find some way to break out of the routine of your mind. Because what happens when you try and have a devotional life? And it's just, you, you get down and you're opening your Bible, but you've got all these thoughts rushing at you. Oh, what about this and what about that? Have you decided what you're going to do today? Have you, have you thought about, is she the right one for you? Have, you? have you thought about what happened yesterday and how you were so embarrassed in this situation? And you've got all these thoughts rushing at you. And you're opening the Word of God, but you can't concentrate because you're being bombarded by these thoughts. Am I the only one who's had this experience? So I've got to release all of those thoughts 
and allow the Holy Spirit to begin changing my mind. And, and suddenly I am down on my knees in front of God. And sometimes I'll be prostrate just to put myself in that position to say, God, I am yours. Chase those thoughts away so that I can concentrate on what you want me to do for today. Bible says, Jeremiah 29, verse 13, you shall seek me and find me when you seek with me with half of your heart. No, with all of your heart. It means that there's this entire seeking after God. And you know the text, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. So that means our motivation is, God, I desire you. Connect with that inner thirst. So the heart attitudes are a heart of surrender. We mentioned consecration, a heart of praise, and a heart seeking God. When you have these motivations, it changes the way you approach your devotional life. Now, I became an Adventist, and I quickly fell into something that I notice Adventists do. We do devotions to get knowledge. So I'd open my Bible, and I'd study it to get knowledge. And, and even the lesson quarterlies, they do the same kind of thing. You're studying to get knowledge, to find out something new. I wasn't studying. I wasn't having a devotional time to praise God. I was having a devotional time so that I could gain more knowledge to beat up my non-Adventist friends with everything that I knew. And now instead, this changes things. I started to seek God with all of my heart. See the difference? Say, God, how can you change me? How can I become more of who you want me to be. So what are you hoping to get out of it? Now here are some things that I'm going to suggest are not the best things to try and get out of your devotional time. Just a feeling of intimacy. I've said devotions are meant to lead to unbroken intimacy, but there's a difference between unbroken intimacy or communion and a feeling of intimacy. Uh, maybe you're not old enough for this, but maybe you are, that you can experience intimacy with a person that you are totally not connected to. You, you're, you're sitting in their presence. Your heart's beating faster. You feel this feeling of intimacy. You look in their eyes, but you are not really connected to them. I remember having that experience and asking a girl to date me as I looked in her eyes, and I, I felt like music playing in the background and this picture-perfect look. And as soon as I said, will you go out with me? It's like somebody stopped playing the record, the, the picture cracked, and I was staring at her like, what am I doing? It was broken just a moment because it was founded on feelings. It was founded on a feeling, and as soon as the feeling disappeared, I realized this is not the girl I want to date, but she's staring back at me going, yes. And I'm going, ah! <laughs> so it lasted 24 hours. Anyway, the... <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of thing you don't want to get into. And with God, we can create feelings of intimacy. And I'm going to be speaking about worship in one of the lifestyle ones. But we can just go for feeling without the real thing. Sometimes we just try and go for new exciting truths. Yes, I found something. Something I can go and say to others. You know what I found today? It's the most incredible thing. But it's more head knowledge than it is life transformation. A sense of accomplishment. Check, check, check. Like one lady, she told me, I've read through my Bible 37 times. She was this mean, grouchy old lady. I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's what I'm going to become at the end of it. I don't want to do that. I mean, it, it shook my faith. But the way she read it was just as a checklist. Five chapters, check. Five chapters, check. And, uh, pretty, and, and that gets boring in the middle of, Ex I mean, of Leviticus. You'll find that. Um, an assurance of salvation. If I don't do it, I won't be saved. All of these reasons are essentially selfish. Would you agree? They're all about me. What am I going to get out of it? 
And our motivation, I believe, should be God's glory revealed in our lives. So if our motivation is, God, I want you to be glorified and do a fascinating study for me. Go through the book of John and find out what it was that motivated Jesus. You just take it chapter by chapter. You say, what was it that drove Jesus' life? You know what you're going to find? You're going to find that Jesus was driven to glorify his Father. That's what motivated his life. And so he had these incredible devotional times. He had these unbroken communion with his father because he was driven to glorify his father. He, there was no selfishness involved. So Bible says, here's how you can be a good Bible student. What does it tell us? Bereans, Acts 17, verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they did what? Received the word how? With all readiness of mind, that's probably not at 11 o'clock at night, and did what? Search the scriptures how often? Daily to see what? Whether those things were so. In other words, they were able to check up. So if, as part of your devotions, you have Bible study, notice some of the key elements of what we learn here. Their attitude was readiness of mind. Their tools, they had the ability to search the scriptures. So they had a way to really get into the scriptures and figure out how to do it. And then their habit was a daily study, and their purpose was they were seeking truth. They were seeking to find out what God was calling them to do. What is it that's true? Then we will do it. So if you approach scripture with these four things, you have the right attitude, you have the right tools or methods, you have a daily habit, and your purpose is to have God glorified by his truth being revealed in your life, then you will have a powerful devotional experience. Now, I know you're going to say, well, practically, how does that work? Isn't that a good question? What am I going to do practically? Because that's all fine in theory, but I'm struggling just to get up every morning, and I don't know what to do. So what we want to move into in this next section is to take a look at how can we move practically to a vibrant, powerful devotional life. Any of you slipped in your devotional life in the last year? Any one of you not slipped in your devotional life in the last year? Oh, good. Well, then you're in the right seminar. <laughs> All right. So because, and and that, that was my experience too. In fact, I remember how I felt like a hypocrite. It really helps me whenever I have to present these because you can't present on something if you're not doing it, right? I, I can't say, hey, here's how to jumpstart your devotional life. About three years ago, <laughs> that's not going to work. I have to tell you that this works. But there was a time uh, when I was really busy. I'd just moved to Southern, and my devotional life was being squeezed up by my busyness. And then I was presenting in class, on a, in a class called Christian Spirituality, and my devotional life was barren. You know how terrible that felt? And so what I want to tell you is this has to be real. And, and I'm going to share with you some things that work, but nothing's perfect because it depends not only on methods, but on what? the Holy Spirit and the right motivation. And so you have to open yourself up to what God does. So here's one, one way that we can move beyond a boring devotional life. And I'm going to share several things that you can do. Uh, the current paradigm of Bible study is casual, hasty, and superficial reading. Bible reading plans, five chapters in a day. But I want to suggest to you, based on the Bereans, that a new paradigm is in-depth spiritual study that becomes ingrained in our daily practice. So instead of just hastily reading, we're going to do in-depth. So you don't uh, need to go too much in, in detail there, but I want you to see what Ellen White says 
about hasty superficial reading, and you can apply this to movies too. With the immense tide of printed matter constantly pouring from the press, old and young form the habit of reading what? Hastily and superficially, and the mind loses its power of, what are these keywords? Connected and vigorous thought. Now, you just think about this. We live, we don't live in the Gutenberg world. We live in the Google world. And in the Google world, everything is sound bites. I read a page quickly, and I click on something, I read a new page. When you listen to a TV show, they're giving you a news program. They just give you sound bites of what somebody said. You read, you're scanning just to see is there any relevant piece of information here because we live in the information age, the Google age. So instead of doing in-depth reading, we are used to scanning, forming a quick judgment, and moving on. Is that, is that correct? So how are we going to get back to the power of connected and vigorous thought? We don't even know how to read the Bible. Notice here, even fiction, which contains no suggestion of impurity, and which may be intended to teach excellent principles, is what? Harmful. It encourages the habit of hasty and superficial reading, merely for the what? Story. Does that sound like movies? <laughs> Thus it tends to destroy the power, notice these words again, of connected and vigorous thought. It unfits the soul to contemplate the great problems of duty and destiny. I encourage you to do that. You try and do a whole lot of skimming on the internet or watching a movie, and then you go and you try to do Bible study. It doesn't work well. Because our minds are not prepared to contemplate, to really think. And this is one of the reasons why our Bible study and devotional life is not working, is because we haven't prepared our minds to do that in-depth kind of, kind of work. Some portions of Scripture are indeed too plain to be misunderstood, but there are others whose meaning does not lie on the surface to be seen at a glance. Scripture must be what? Compared with Scripture. And there must be careful research and prayerful reflection. Notice those two elements. So if you really want to have a good devotional time, you're going to have to have both elements involved. There is but little benefit derived from a hasty reading of the Scriptures. Now notice what Ellen White recommends instead. One passage, how many? One passage studied until its significance is clear to the mind and its relation to the plan of salvation is, is evident is of more value than the perusal of many chapters with no definite purpose in view and no positive instruction gained. The checklist. So if you really want to have powerful devotional time, you'd do better to study less and get more. So, our prayer life, same thing. And I'm going to be dealing with prayer life later, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. But our prayer life tends to be superficial, selfish, ritualistic, rushed. A one-way demand list done out of sense of duty. That's our prayer life today. And I'm going to suggest the same things we said about Bible study. We need to pray deeper. We need to pray more often. One of my uh, lecturers was a guy called Professor Krishna from uh, India. And he did a class for me, my Christian spirituality class, when I was in college. And so the first day of class, he settles us down. He says, we're now going to pray for the next 40 minutes. I'm like, okay, that's class? Yes, that's class. So we all started to pray. And I tell you, after 15 minutes, it was uncomfortable in that room. Why? We didn't know how to pray for longer than 15 minutes. After it was over, he said, you struggled, didn't you? We all said, yes, yes. He says, I pray between two to three hours every day. He says, you know how I do it? I've trained my mind. I know how to spend time in concentration. That's something that people in the East know how to do. But in the West, 
you're so used to flashing images and to short little things that you don't know how to spend concentrated time in prayer. Prayer, however, should be the breath of the soul, the secret of spiritual power. Jesus prayed. He taught his disciples to pray, and he commands us to pray. So prayer is important. Bible study is important. We know it's important. The question is, how do we do it? And I'm going to have to skip to this section. How do we get into a regular devotional habit? So I want to deal with some practical issues that you may be facing. Do you know what time we end here? Oh, we have still uh, 30 minutes, right? Oh, we'll, we'll be good. We'll be good. How do we get into a regular devotional habit? Number one, you need to get into a habit. What is a habit? Something you do over and over again. Give me examples of habits. Eating lunch at 1 o'clock every day. Showering in the morning. Brushing your teeth. Do you have to think about brushing your teeth? Do you, do you go... Oh my, I have to brush my teeth today. Or does it tend to come out of it? Do you have to think about, do you have to think about getting your food at lunchtime? Oh, I've really got to remember to eat my food. Well, some of you get really busy. You probably do. But mostly when you get into habit, you, you're doing it every day. What about the exercise habit? Any of you ever done those? Uh, yeah, that one's more difficult, isn't it? <laughs> you, because we made a lot of promises. I'm, I'm gonna, this year, I'm going to be exercising like one hour every single day. And it lasts like three days. And so... How do we get into a habit? Well, we've got to develop certain rituals. Rituals make the habit work. So you've got to, here's one of your rituals. Select a specific time. It's going to be morning or evening. If you've ever tried an exercise program, you know when you make it the same time every day, you're more likely to do it. It's the same with devotions. So whatever time you said, stick to it. Although I prefer mornings because I don't want to pray the loser's prayer I mentioned at the beginning. The loser's prayer is at the end of the day when you've messed up. I like to pray the victor's prayer at the beginning of the day, <laughs> before I go out into the day, then I can pray for God's strength. But some of us don't function well in the morning. My wife is an owl and I'm a fowl. You know, I like to get up early in the morning and she likes to go to bed late at night. And so we found a compromise. But early in the morning, it's, it's like a car that won't start. You know, she's just getting going. So for her to try and do in-depth Bible study at 6 o'clock in the morning, it's not going to work. I'll just hear spluttering sounds, you know, from the bed. So, so she may do some in-depth study at night when I'm, I'm history. My brain shuts off, you know. The computer has stopped functioning. Please try again in eight hours. And so you've got to figure out what works for you. But whatever time you set, stick to it. Remember that quality is better than quantity. I'd rather have 15 minutes when I really get in-depth with something than have an hour when I, when I don't know what I'm doing. So remember, quality rather than quantity. Next ritual you need, a special place. We found that when people sit in the same chair, when they've listened to a piece of music, they, and they, every time they sit in that chair, they listen to a piece of music, they can just sit in that chair, and it's almost like the music starts to play in their mind. Uh, when, we're stopping people from, when we're helping people to give up smoking, we tell them to sit in a different chair. Why? Because it breaks the habit. So you want to build the habit, what are you going to do? You're going to choose the same place. And uh, try and find one that has meaning for you, uh, if it's outdoors, one where you can eliminate distractions. That could be difficult. Thank you. So if you're, if you're having challenges with 
you've got roommates or something like that, and it's hard to get away from the distractions. It could be hard, but the more you eliminate the distractions, the better. Now I'll tell you one distraction that I've had to eliminate, the computer. I cannot do my devotions with my computer open anymore. I mean, at first it was really neat. I had journals going, and it was all really good. But there's, there's a couple of major problems with using your computer for devotions. What are they? The internet, right, because email is like calling you. Yahoo! Well, maybe, maybe I should use Google. Anyway, they, they kind of go, here I am, here I am. You know, come, come. You never know. And then it pops up. Five messages. I mean, you just, you're dying of curiosity. What are those five messages? I mean, it could be something really important. And then when you get through email, what's next? Facebook. Facebook's going. Yeah, I mean, there could be a status update happening right now. Somebody could have just gotten engaged. How would you know unless you were on Facebook right at that time? I mean, you could miss out. I mean, we, we were embarrassed because we went and visited someone, and she was engaged. And we said, when did it happen? Like three days ago. Don't you read Facebook? <laughs> and we're like, not the last three days, I guess. So, you know, you might miss the status update, and then it's gone. You know, once the status updates, after a while, I mean, unless you're going to scroll through like 5,000. I, I think I have like 2,400 friends or something on Facebook. I can't read those, all those status updates. So, I mean, it's just, uh, you might miss something. So, you, you, it's, it's there waiting for you. And then, when you, when you open the computer, there's all of these other things. There's projects you've been working on. There's, there's PowerPoints. There's Word. There's Audioverse. Sorry, you know, there's Audioverse. <laughs> but I mean, all good things, but they're distractions. So for me, I don't open my computer until I've had my devotions. I don't know what works for you. Now, later on, I may do study on my computer. But I don't want, I don't want to have my devotions made up of that study because, because it's just too inviting. All right, follow a simple plan, and uh, you, you can spend as long or as short of this as you need to. But the simple plan is before I begin, I have to pause. I have to pray. I have to clear my mind. I consecrate myself to God. I begin with the right attitude. If I don't pause, I find I don't get as much out of the reading. Um, I, then when I've paused and prayed, and I've had sufficient time just connecting with God, then I read. And I'm focused in my reading. I, I like to read through books of the Bible, and every now and again I'll, I'll shift it up because I'm, I may be reading through a book and just realizing this isn't touching where my life is right now. And then I think, well, what book of the Bible would be better for where I am right now? And I may start a new book. I, I, sometimes I use devotional writings to help me out, but I'm going to have something to read, and I'm going to spend some time really reading and asking, what does this mean? That's why Reflect is next. So what, what does this mean? And there's some questions that are good to ask. Number one, what does this say about God? What does it say about God? Who is he? What am I learning about God from this? Because remember, devotions are to give glory to God. So what am I learning about God? Second question, what does it tell me about humanity? What does it tell me about humanity? Because I see someone reacting. Maybe it's a story in the Bible. Maybe it's how the people in Corinth how they related to spiritual gifts. So I'm looking for what does it tell me about humanity? And then my third question is, what difference does it make in my life? So three simple questions. But when I go to the text, I'm always looking. What does it tell me about God? What does it tell me about humanity? How is that going to change my life? And I found that even those three questions help me to, to really change things. Because then I, after I've reflected, then I go to application. All right, 
what am I going to do now? I've heard this. I've read it. What am I going to do? Because if I leave my devotions without asking what I'm going to do, I've only gone halfway. So most people, they, they don't ask, what am I going to do? So their devotions never impact on their life. Like the lady who read it for 37 years or 37 times. You know, it didn't impact on her life because she's never saying, what am I going to do as a result of reading this? And then I'm, I write it down. I need to go and apologize to so-and-so. Oh, Lord, can we, can we postpone that? <laughs> I need to change this or change that. I need to get to bed earlier tonight. So those help me make it real. And then I, I end with a time of prayer, and that's as long as or, as or as short as I need it. We'll deal more with prayer later on. Very simple formula, but that helps the habit means that I'm going to go through these same things every day, maybe switch it up a little, but I'm going to have those things drilled into me. My mind is prepared for them. So if we had time, and maybe when we're done with the presentation here, we will, we will actually see if we can do a little bit of this right here before we finish. And we'll see if we can fit that in so it doesn't take up the time on the uh, audioverse. All right, next here. Uh, what if you have some problems with your devotional time? Now, I'm going to deal with the four Ds. Have you, any of you gone to 4D theaters? All right. Wait, no, you don't go to theaters. That's great. So <laughs> what these are is that these are four things that are a problem in our devotional life. And I want to help you overcome these problems. So we're going to go through them one by one. The first one is the problem of discipline. The problem of discipline. And I have just some simple suggestions that I believe will really help you. Now, if you're like me, you've sometimes struggled with discipline. How many of you are in college or high school? All right, so you know all about the problems with discipline because you're just too busy. So it's very simple. You need between seven to eight hours of sleep. So how do you know when you should go to bed? Well, when do you want to wake up? When would be a good time? When would you like to wake up, Cindy? Six o'clock. All right. Cindy wants to be awake at six o'clock in the morning. So we're going to count back seven to eight hours. That means she really should be in bed by 10, theoretically. So what happens is we know that we're supposed to be in bed early, but we just don't make it a priority. And then we pay for it the next morning. You begin the night before. One of the things I do is I pray for God to wake me up. I believe that he does do that. So I can say to him, Lord, Please wake me up. And it's gotten to the point now where I don't need an alarm clock to wake me up. Unfortunately, this morning, that was also true because I was awake at 7 on Eastern time. Because, <laughs> so, you know, there, I, I get, at least I got an extra hour of sleep. Normally, I'm awake at around about 6. And so uh, this morning, I was, I was up. Uh, yeah, sorry. I was, rather, I was 4 o'clock this time. So it was 7 Eastern, 4 o'clock this time, and I was awake. Have a prayer partner call you. And uh, so what you can do is have somebody who you, is your accountability or prayer partner, and they can call you and say, hey, how's your devotional life going? Uh, sorry, yeah, it's going great. You know, so you may want to uh, just have that help you. And then fall asleep thinking of your morning devotions for the next day. Get excited about it. Tomorrow I can't wait to get into the next chapter. Reading Patriarchs and Prophets or reading the Bible, I can't wait to get there. And that will help you get excited. And this one is the critical one. Get up immediately. Your greatest motivation for getting up is when you first wake up. It diminishes after that. <laughs> Have you noticed? <laughs> they, they've even built now, to help people out, they've built these alarm clocks that can run away from you. 
they're, they're on wheels. And when you press snooze, it moves. <laughs> and it like moves across the room. So you have to get out of bed to turn it off. So, because any of you ever been able to roll out of bed and, and hit snooze button without waking up? Yeah, that's for you. All right. So yeah, get up immediately. The, the sooner you get up, the easier it is. And that's just what they've shown. In fact, in an interesting uh, study that they did, they found that people who go back to bed wake up more tired. When you wake up, you're, you're less tired. And for some reason, it doesn't work with everyone, but it's better to, if you're going to skip hours, it's better to skip two hours of sleep than it is to skip one hour. Here's an arbitrary fact for you. You're better to do the evens than the odds for some reason. Anyway. Psalm uh, 5, verses 1 through 3, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. So even if you're not going to do your main devotional time in the morning, I believe you still need prayer time in the morning. O Lord, in thee when? Morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. David's example was to look up, was to connect with God at the beginning of the day. Sorry, yeah? Oh, what I'm saying is that the study shows that, that if, you're going to, if you're going to skip on your sleep, you'll be more groggy if you skip one hour of sleep than if you skip two hours of sleep. Don't ask me why, but your biorhythms do better in even, even time periods, like six hours or eight hours. But if you're an eight-hour sleeper, and of course some people are seven-hour sleepers, then it would be five hours, I guess. But if you're an eight-hour sleeper, then typically going to the odd number is worse for you than going to the even number. So I'm not saying lose an extra hour of sleep now. But what I'm saying is that your biorhythms are really important in your concentration levels. And going back to sleep for an hour is about the worst thing that you can do for your concentration level. Yeah, it, it's really helpful for your, your whole, the way your whole system operates to have a schedule, a rhythm. That's why, again, one of the worst things you can do is sleeping on the weekend because it throws your whole biorhythm out. And so you'll end up being groggy over the weekend. Any of you experience this? You, during the week, you're operating. You're on task. You're, and in the weekend, you sleep in, and then you're all groggy, and you get nothing done the whole day, and, and you're not really operating efficiently. And while you may have caught up on sleep, you've thrown your biorhythms out. So the better way is to just have consistently. So you're waking up the same time on the weekend as you wake up during the week. That's the ideal. Yes? God's plan was that you begin with sleep. sleep. Exactly. So you begin with sleep, and then you're ready to face the day. And if you've ever not had sleep, you know what happens. <laughs> yeah. So that's one problem is discipline. So some good suggestions for discipline. What about the second problem, distractions? Any of you ever get distracted? Yeah. 
What was that? <laughs> yeah, so we, we're all a little ADD because of television these days. So if you get distracted, one way to solve the problem of distractions, your mind can't concentrate, is again to get out of bed. Now what happens when you're in bed with your eyes closed and you're praying? You think you're praying, but your body, which is already sleep deprived, it thinks bed, eyes closed, sleep. So you can't focus because your, your brain is producing everything it needs for sleep, and you're trying to pray, and it doesn't work. So as a result of that, I get out of bed, and sometimes, I don't do it all the time, I open my eyes during prayer because I, I tend to write some of my prayers down. So this way, I can actually look at, at what I've written down. And if I have prayer requests, or if I'm reading a scripture, I'll sometimes read the scripture, and I pray with my eyes open. Now, the reason why people prayed with their eyes closed was for what? To get rid of distractions. So if you're a person, if your eyes are open, you get distracted, then close, close your eyes. But if you're a person who gets sleepy when you close your eyes, then it's better to keep your eyes open <laughs> and focus on something, and that might help you, especially if you've written down some things you need to pray about. Then keeping a prayer journal uh, or diary, uh, you know, where you write some things down. If you've got a prayer journal, I find that that's really helpful. And my wife and I keep a prayer journal where we write things into. Not only do we see how God has answered our prayers, but we get to trace his activity in our lives over time. And when I write things down, I find it focuses my thoughts. Because I can think random nothing thoughts. You probably heard of the fact that men have... Their, their mind is like boxes, and one of the boxes they have is a nothing box. And so we can just sit and think about nothing. <laughs> so what we need sometimes, in order to focus me, I write it down, and it focuses my thoughts, and it helps me to concentrate. I will pray about the very thing that distracts me. So I feel like I, the devil's sometimes going there, yeah, think about this, think about your money, your finances. Have you checked your bank account lately? What about so-and-so? You remember what happened? So those very things that are coming into my mind, I go, all right, devil, I'm going to beat you at your own game. And I pray about the very thing that's distracting me because now I just take it to the Lord in prayer. So instead of being distracted, it's, my, it's part of my prayer. And it works well. And then protect your devotional time. You know, don't have a lot of... Uh, things that can distract you like phone and computer and other things available there. Try and, and get rid of those distractions so it's you, the Bible, and the Lord. If the mind wanders, Ellen White says, we must bring it back and by persevering effort, habit will finally make it easy. Messages to young people, page 115. So you can learn the habit of focusing your mind, even if you feel like you're ADD. It can happen. And I know people in my classes who certainly experience improvements in their ability to focus and concentrate. So we had discipline, we had distractions, now dryness. Um, you know, the, the discipline is, is kind of the battle of the blankets. This is the battle of the blahs. You know, you're just reading your, your Bible and it's not coming alive. Any of you had that experience? You, you're reading and it's like, what? It doesn't touch me at all. You know, uh, let your, let your uh, children become orphans and may their heads be crushed against the stones. That doesn't connect with me today. <laughs> and uh, so I, I look at it and go, all right, what am I going to do, Lord? I, you know, I'm reading the begats and so-and-so begats so-and-so. And, -so, and, -so, and I, I found great things in the begats eventually. 
But at a certain time in my life, you know, I'm crying out to God. I'm saying, God, I need you in my life. And I'm reading so-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so. And then there was a prostitute, and then they begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so. <laughs> Isn't that how it reads? <laughs> and I'm just like, what, what's going on here, Lord? So what are you going to do? So when, I, when there is dryness, before I, I blame the Word of God, um, it, you know, I'm going to look at what other things are going on. Number one, my physical condition. When I was sick, I noticed that I couldn't concentrate. And so your physical condition really affects the ability of your mind to focus. So I look at my physical condition. Is there something I can do to improve my physical condition to get maximum concentration? If I'm disobedient to God, I find I don't really get anything out of my devotions. First, I have to surrender to God. Then my devotions come alive. I don't have to make myself right before I come to God, but I certainly have to surrender it. Then I may be rushing my quiet time. I mean, how do I expect to get a lot out of it if it's five rushed minutes or ten rushed minutes at the beginning of the day? You know, how do I expect to get something out of my relationship with my wife is all I ever do. Honey, did you, did you uh, take care of the kids? Did you pick up this? Did you buy this? Uh, are you ironing the clothes? Are you washing the dishes? Where's the food? If I just had a demand list for my wife, do you think I'd have an intimate relationship with her? No, but this way, when I spend time, when, I, when I'm willing to take the time, when I waste time with God, it's great. Somebody wrote a book called A Royal Waste of Time. That's what time with God is, a royal waste of time. But it's the best kind of royal waste of time you could ever get because it's with the king of the universe. So just spending time, not, not being in a rush, say this is more important than anything else. Another thing I found that causes my dryness is if I don't share insights with others. If I keep it all to myself, it's just not that meaningful. When I go out and I share what this scripture means to me, and, and I get insights, and I can go out and share. Unfortunately, I have that opportunity many times. It just makes those scriptures come alive. Now, having said all of that, what should you do? All of these things are okay, but you're still not getting a lot out of your devotional time. What should you do? You can pray. Yeah, what else? You can hiccup, but it probably won't help. <laughs> I think what's, what I've done is I switch things up because sometimes I'm into, a, I'm into a rut. Now, habit is good, but a rut is not. It's like kind of in Alaska. They've got some places where it says, choose your rut. You'll be in it the next 130 miles. This, you know, I, sometimes I get into a rut, so I'll switch things up, and I will change books. Uh, sometimes I will go to reading a devotional book that's going to hit me. If, if, if the Bible, I'm reading the Bible in that particular section, it's just not working with me, then I'll, I'll switch out and go to a devotional book. And I like Spirit of Prophecy because it always leads me back to the Bible. And then I find I, I get back into the Bible. Other times I will say, okay, I've got to stop what I'm doing and I've just got to pray. And after I've prayed and I've spent some time in prayer, then I may put on a piece of music. And then I start connecting. I just start talking to God. And then I say, all right, I'm ready to go back to the scriptures now. And, um, and as I say, it, there were times like Leviticus is always a place where you get stopped. And so you may want to skip up. You know, you get all to that sanctuary stuff and say, I'm going to make that part of my study time instead of part of my regular devotional time. And then I move over to the New Testament, pick up the great stories, get something out of there, and then I go back and I study the sanctuary later on. Yes. 
Yeah, here's what I do is I like to use what we call a literal translation for study, but I will use a paraphrase to spark my thinking about what the text means. I don't like to use a paraphrase by itself because I find that those words get confused with what the text is reading. I never know what the text is actually saying. But if I'm using a literal translation like King James or New King James, I, I then find that that's rich for study. And the other, like the Message Bible or um, Clear Word, helps me to, to bring out what the text could mean. Um, the Clear Word has a lot of Ellen White written into it. So I like to distinguish, all right, which part was Ellen White? What did he add to bring it out? Thank you. And so that's, that's what I use. So useful, but I wouldn't use a paraphrase alone. I keep it separate for me uh, because I find that I get too intellectual when I'm in my study time. So my study time, I'm, I'm weighing things up, I'm writing things down. Because of how I am, I need my devotional time to be just devotional time. So it, it depends on, on the person, but for me, that's what's worked. Then staying diligent. We're just not consistent enough. What do we do? So I like to, okay, things haven't been going well. I make a covenant or vow to God, and I make this realistic. I don't like making promises I can't keep. Dear God, I'm going to pray to you an hour every day, come what may. Well, that's probably not going to happen. So instead I say, God, I choose today, and I will continue to choose every day to spend meaningful time with you. That way tomorrow I make the same commitment. You understand what I'm doing? Now, I, I'm doing it because I realize this is best for me. And I may sometimes tell myself, all right, in the next three weeks, I really want to focus on this particular aspect of God's character or this particular book of the Bible. But it's not a hard and fast thing. My commitment is every day I'm making a vow that I'm going to spend time with God. Then I schedule it on my daily calendar. I write it in. If you go to my office, you'll see my devotional time written in. So anyone who walks into my office knows I have scheduled devotional time at that time. I'm prepared to face Satan's excuses, you know. So I really tell myself when I go to bed at night, and I know tomorrow I'm not going to want to get out of bed, especially in the middle of winter. So I need to face that. What am I going to do? So I prepare my mind to face those excuses. Any of you done this with exercise? Yeah, you've got you to get yourself in that same frame of mind. And then, as I mentioned before, leaving your Bible open at night to the passage for the next day, get excited, have it open, ready to get into that. Some don'ts don't get what? Discouraged because you will have days when it doesn't go well. Just like when you're married, you will have days when you don't speak to your spouse in a meaningful way. It can happen. It doesn't mean that you're divorced, praise God. It just means you had a day when you were too busy to connect, and you can change that the next day. Don't put away your Bible. Don't give up on that. Don't ever give up. You know, you ever seen that little cartoon with a, uh, a frog being swallowed by a stork or something? And it's got its hands around the neck because it's not giving up. And uh, it's not, it's not going to go down without a fight. So you can't let the devil win by a devotional life that's not wor working well. Remember, it takes two weeks to become familiar with a task. But it takes six weeks before it becomes a comfortable habit. So you need to spend at least six weeks in this habit-forming routine before, you, before it's going to be consistent enough for you to say, OK, now. Now it's happening every day. And of course, you can always slip. So it, it's going to be something that you make a focus. But when it comes out of love, the more you do it, the more your love relationship with God drives it. And the more it drives it, the less of a duty it becomes. 
And God can honestly take a poor devotional life and turn it around. I remember when I was in college as a second-year theology student, I hit a brick wall in my devotional time. I was reading, I was praying, but I felt like my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. I felt like the Bible study wasn't coming alive. And, I just, and, and this was the commitment I made. I said, God, I don't understand why this is happening, but I am determined that I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And it was three months like that. Three months of praying, of prayers bouncing off the ceiling, of the scriptures not coming alive. And I just said, I'm not giving up. And praise God, it was about three months later, I was on my knees, I had the Bible open, and I was pouring my heart out to God again. And suddenly I felt his presence. And, and I, I looked back at my Bible, and I understood what it meant. The words were coming alive. And I felt God in the room, and I hadn't felt that. And my prayers, is like, like I had five angels just carrying them right to heaven. There was just this open corridor. And I began praising God aloud. I think my roommate thought I'd become Pentecostal. But, you know, I just, I just had that moment, this incredible experience, when I reconnected. And then my devotional life was back on track. So I'm not saying it's always going to be easy. But God will respond to your faithfulness. You will find me when you seek for me with what? All your heart. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray that you will indeed guide and lead us. That you will help us to seek for you with all of our hearts. That you'll help us not to depend on human wisdom or human methods. But Lord, give us the right motivation. Help us to use more effective methods to make a commitment that we will be faithful to you. And God, we don't have the strength. So do what we cannot. Help us to have unbroken communion with you. In Jesus' name.